Hello again, friends. Welcome on into episode 32 of The Sco Show. Proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schoolfield. Happy to be with you for today, Thursday, October 24th. Another huge and loaded show for you on this Thursday. We're going to have Jeff Lloyd from Locked On Browns. He'll be spending some quality time with us a little bit later in the show. We're going to talk about Baker Mayfield as well and the conundrum of comfort and chaos. But before we do anything, your usual reminders, please check out the work at Inside the Pylon, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, Pro Football Weekly, and that trinity of SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, and of course, right here at Pat's Pulpit. And don't forget, best way to keep in touch, at Mark Schofield on the Twitter device. Or you could be like many and join the Sco Show Slack channel. Again, reach out at Mark Schofield or mark.schofield at insidethepylon.com for an invite. And I mentioned, look, we're going to talk Baker Mayfield. We're going to talk with Jeff Lloyd during quality time. But I think we obviously have to start with the Josh Gordon news, which came out Wednesday afternoon. I was on my way bringing my daughter to gymnastics class trying to get everybody into the car after picking them up from school. And there it is. Josh Gordon going to be placed on IR with the expectations that he will be, when he's cleared from IR, he is going to be waived by the team and free to sign with another organization as a free agent. Now, Josh Gordon acquired for a fifth-round pick. Patriots paid him $2.5 million over the past two years and had over 1,000 yards receiving, I believe. Six touchdowns during his time in New England over the course of the two seasons. But you do sort of wonder about the Josh Gordon experiment, whether it worked out or not. I think you have to sort of realize that he's not the Josh Gordon of old. I was talking with some other media types uh, today on Thursday uh, about Josh Gordon and why it seems so many fan bases, so many writers even, want to sort of chase the Josh Gordon ghost. You know, there are lots of pieces out today from various teams, from various websites saying, oh, the Team X, Team Y, Team Z should go out and sign Josh Gordon. He's not the player that people are dreaming about. When he was here with the Patriots and even before, you know, when he was able to get back on the field, he's not Flash Gordon anymore. He's Anquan Bolden, in a sense. He's a strong, powerful, yards-after-the-catch guy that's done with strength. You know, he's not going to beat you with speed and athleticism and the burst he used to have. He's going to need to be schemed open in a sense. Now, what's interesting about this Josh Gordon move is that it makes a lot of people, myself included, look a little foolish because I sat in this very big chair in front of this very microphone just 24, 48 hours ago making the case that, oh, the Muhammad Sanu acquisition, I don't think it's really anything about Josh Gordon, you know... May, he's going to be used as a big slot. Maybe it's more an Akeel Harry thing. And then they turn around and we get this news. You know, And that's one of the trials and tribulations, in a sense, of, of covering the New England Patriots is that not even the people in the building have access. Mike Reese, for example, was out there today answering questions from readers on Twitter saying, look, even if we're in the building, we don't get all the information. You know, The Patriots obviously have much more information and knowledge than we do. And so there are going to be times when we're kind of in the dark. And this is another example of that. I think there's a personal element to this in the sense that I think everybody wishes the best for Josh Gordon personally. 
We all want to see him succeed. We know what he's been through. And it seemed like in New England, he was given the opportunity to sort of be who he is, to fit into this culture. They put a strong support group, in a sense, around him from management on down. And you do sort of wonder, you know, this sort of change in his circumstance, a change to a new team, a new city, a new situation, what that's going to do for him. You know, we all want to see him succeed. And so we're certainly thinking about it from that perspective as well. But it's it's an interesting move. It's one that a lot of people sort of were taken by surprise with. And Taylor Kyles, for example, had tweeted out just yesterday morning something to the effect of, you know, it was a gif of, you know, when people think that the Sanu trade has anything to do with Josh Gordon, you know, and he was kind of trying to laugh it off. And then later that day, he has to realize, well, okay, I guess it did have something to do with Josh Gordon. So this team always sort of keeps you on your toes. But we do wish Josh Gordon the best. Now, speaking of being kept on your toes, let's talk about Baker Mayfield for a moment here. And I've got a piece going up on Pat's pulpit. By the time you listen to this, it is probably going to be up talking about, you know, Baker Mayfield, chaos, and the boogeyman. And the way I sort of frame the piece is this way. I begin with actually a discussion of Mitchell Trubisky, believe it or not. And I set out the promise that sometimes quarterbacks just are who they are. And at the start of the piece, I linked to a thread from Seth Galina that you've probably seen. It was turned into a Twitter moment of him just having a complete mental breakdown on a simple RPO play. And it was a piece, it was a play from their game against New Orleans that, you know, I wrote about as well in covering Trubisky for Pro Football Weekly. And when I saw that play, it flashed me back to studying Trubisky when he was coming out of UNC and a game against Virginia where they ran a, a variation of the stick concept. So it's a trips look to the left, outside receiver along the sideline runs a go, and the two inside receivers, number two, the middle guy, and number three, the inside guy, they all run simple curl routes. And before the ball is snapped, Trubisky sees that there's no defender over number three, the inside guy, but there is a defender over number two, the middle guy. And so he's thinking before the play, take the snap, throw it right to the inside guy on his curl. He's going to be wide open. You know, can't get easier than that. Well, Virginia makes it a little bit more complicated. Ball is snapped, and the defender over number two, the middle receiver, jumps the inside receiver. So now you're thinking, okay, just throw it to the middle guy, right? Now he's wide open. And Trubisky just sort of panics. It's like a vapor lock situation and runs into a sack by the defensive end on the backside. You're seeing it now in year three from him. So sometimes quarterbacks are just who they are, and they don't really change. And we spend so much time in this industry, so much time in the draft process, so much time watching films saying, oh, they can get coached up. You know, you get them into a system that's the right system and the right fit, and they'll start making the reads, and development is not linear, and all the catchwords and buzzed phrases and the things that I say leading up to the draft, and none of it matters at all. Eat at Arby's because these guys are who they are. That brings me to Baker. When Baker was just a junior, I wrote a piece at Inside the Pylon titled, Baker Mayfield and the Conundrum of Comfort in Chaos. And the premise of the piece was Baker Mayfield, for all the great things about him, part of what makes him great is his ability to play outside the pocket and off of structure. But there are moments when he seeks that out because he's so good at it, he almost thrives in it. He almost wants to be there. It's more comfortable for him. And so even though there are opportunities as a quarterback in the pocket to take easy throws, he will sometimes forego them 
break the pocket and try to make something happen. And so I was wondering, you know, if he stayed in school for another year, would we see that get better? I revisited it his senior year, and you still saw it. I revisited it last year for Matt Waldman's site, and you were still seeing it, and we're still seeing it right now. There are times when Baker Mayfield will stay in the pocket, will fight in the pocket. There's an example in the piece up of Pat's pulpit now of a play against Baltimore where you could see Baker Mayfield sometimes. You, you could sense him wanting to break the pocket. It's starting to get chaotic in there. But he hangs in there. He fights in the pocket. But then there are other moments when, even with good results, you wonder about the process. He had a throw on a fourth and seven against Seattle. Just, you know, week six, so two weeks ago, because they're coming off their bye, where they catch Seattle on a Tampa 2 look, you know, two deep safeties, that middle linebacker retreating, and he's got Jarvis Landry on a simple seam route open early in the down, and all he has to do is throw it to him. But instead, he escapes from the pocket, starts to flush himself to the right, and they they pick up the first down because Jarvis Landry sees him flushing, he breaks to the outside, mirrors him in a scramble drill situation, and they connect for a big gain. And the result is great, but it's the process that leaves me scratching my head and leaves me thinking that this is just who he is. And now he gets this Patriots defense. This Patriots defense, which is so adept at confusing young quarterbacks, at baiting young quarterbacks into feeling pressure, whether simulated or real, we saw what they did to Darnold. We saw what they've done to other quarterbacks like Josh Allen. Now they get another 2018 quarterback and one that likes to find that will often seek out chaos because he thinks that's where he's at his best. And you put that together, and I can't help but wonder if we're going to see another Sam Darnold-like situation on Sunday afternoon with Mayfield wanting to seek out chaos because that is who he is as a passer and as a result he's forced into some bad situations if you watched back in week three the sunday nighter rams at browns and you saw him bailing from clean pockets and sometimes when you do that you cut the field in half and like in a play i highlight in the piece he ends up just throwing it away because there's nothing to do nothing to throw to and so From a football, from a quarterback evaluation standpoint, that's my concern with Mayfield going into this game Sunday. From a, hi, I'm a Patriots fan and I host a Patriots podcast and more people listen when they win perspective, I'm kind of excited to see what this defense is going to do to him. Now, just a few words on sort of a rough prediction. I think New England wins this game. I think it's probably a 10 to 14 point win. You know, I, I think I saw, what, 13 and a half? I think New England covers that. It's going to be close. I, I think it's more maybe a 10-point win. I, I don't know. I, I think they certainly could. You know, obviously, Cleveland is coming off their butt. And they have some talent. This might be, you know, one of, if not the most talented offense they'll face this so far this season, at least with Odell, with Landry, with Mayfield. So it will be a good test for this defense. It's certainly one that I think this defense is going to pass with flying colors. You know, I, I, I've i been wondering in my head what we're going to see from a matchup perspective in the secondary. I'm very curious to see if we get Gilmore on Odell or if we get 
say, a Jonathan Jones on Odell with safety help and then perhaps Gilmore on Landry, or if they're worried that maybe Gilmore's a bit too shifty, I mean, excuse me, if Landry's more a bit too shifty, so you might see Jones on Landry and maybe Gilmore on Odell. Maybe we see a bit more cover too. I don't know. But I'm very curious to see how Belichick defends those guys in the secondary. I think it's going to be a fun little chess game. But I think New England wins this one in the end. But that's just me. I'm a Pats guy. Up next, a Browns guy. Jeff Lloyd from Locked On Browns will join us for some quality time. That is ahead on episode 32 of The Scope Show. And welcome back, friends, to episode 32 of The Sco Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network, and as always, brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. And it's time for quality time. And you don't get stuck with me in the quality time segment as you did earlier this week. You get an actual fantastic guest, one of my favorite people in this industry. I consider him a dear, dear friend. He hosts the Locked On Browns podcast for the Locked On Podcast Network, a place I know and love, the one and only Jeff Lloyd. Mr. Lloyd, my friend, how you doing, buddy? Uh, doing real well. Um, you know, obviously, you know, record wise, uh, was, you know, everybody was, you know, figuring, you know, a little bit better here. Um, and of course you got to deal with all the nonsense you're going to get on a bye week after a close, close loss at home. And then guess what? Where do you go? You got to go to what is the AFC measuring stick for the last 20 years on Sunday. Um, but you know, looking forward to it, look, you know, whether this, you know, whether or not they're two and four, whether or not they were four and two, this is a game that's been circled. I mean, you know, you improved your roster. You know, two years ago, you were an 0-16 franchise. You know, how else do you know how far you've come, how much talent you've got, unless you got to go, you know, face the big bad Patriots? Jeff, let's sort of start with that record because, like you said, you know, 2-4 and four coming into this game, expectations were high, obviously, in the offseason, the acquisition of Odell, the hiring of Freddie Kitchens, Baker in year two. How has the two and four starts sort of impacted this team, this franchise, this fan base? How has that played out? Uh, I think we're doing a lot more, you know, same old, same old, if you will. This is the stuff I talked about in my first year here, which was the 0-16 season. How can you get this team better? Or do you tinker here? Do you tinker there? Um, you know, then last year, obviously, there was some success. And it's all right, well, where do you just need a couple of pieces? This year, I think it's nerves because for the first time in forever, there were expectations. So, you know, why isn't this working? Um, you know, well, Freddie isn't cut out. You know, he was never a head coach. Well, we knew Freddie was never a head coach. Um, we knew that going into it. Um, you look at the schedule they've played. I mean, other than the Jets, every one of these teams has got a pretty darn good record. You knew it was going to be a tough beginning stretch. There, were, there was a possibility always of going two and five to start out this game. I don't think anybody realized how good San Francisco was. That one was a little surprising. Seattle, you know, they kind of put that one on themselves. Uh, you know, anytime you're going to play the latter part of a first half with the equation of we're going to let Russ have the ball one more time, and then we're going to take it from him again. And we'll score twice here in a minute and 40 seconds. Yeah, I mean, that's that's rookie head coaching. There's things you just don't want to do. I mean, you, you look at what Baltimore did to Seattle last week. How did they win? Kept the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands. That's usually your best option. Um, so Freddie's obviously, you know, I don't want to say overcoaching, maybe maybe too aggressive in some of the things he's doing. Um, the other thing is is the play calling, and I, and I know you study this. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of flow or a lot of rhyme or reason as to what they're doing. Um, he saw good signs in Baltimore, and that's where all right, back to two and two. Now we got two te- you know two games against the NFC West, some really good opponents, and you didn't see any of it really in the San Francisco game. Maybe partly because they got blown out so early. The Seattle game, you saw some nice things. Just wasn't enough, and then Freddie got caught up with the officials, and you, you basically ran the same play that you ran while you were trying to review it. I mean, you can't run the same play 
two plays in a row at the goal line in the NFL. It's, right. You just can't do stuff like that. Um, and then the fans themselves, I guess they're just, you know, oh, can we resolve the left tackle issue? You really can't resolve the left tackle issue. There's maybe 10 great ones in the league. They get drafted. They stay with the franchise for 10 years, and then they eventually retire. Uh, you, you, and the other thing is you cannot always have everything. I don't care what team you are. There's always going to be a spot on your roster where you say, man, you wish you could upgrade there. You just can't have it all done for every season, whether it's injuries or, you know, obviously cap allotment or, you know, guys aging or somebody gets injured. You're always going to be short somewhere. It just seems this year it's hitting them at the offensive tackle position, which was the same two guys they had last year. But last year, these two guys play over the second half of the season, played the best ball of their careers. Now they're kind of reverting back to what they've always been. You know, Jeff, let me pick up on that point there because we've heard in the past couple of days some rumblings about an acquisition perhaps of Nate Solder. Do you think they go outside the organization before the trade deadline to figure out the left tackle spot? Or do you think they're trying to get going to try to get by with what they've got? They're, they're trying to go outside of the organization. Who, um, you know, uh, the word is, is, you know, John Dorsey's not too happy right now. Jimmy Haslam's not too happy. So then you go and start pursuing. But, I mean, you look at Nate Solder on the face right now. He's not playing any better than Greg Robinson is. So basically you have a left tackle at $6 million who's playing better than a left tackle who's making $13 million. I'm not exactly sure what the cause would be to run there um, to go after Solder. You know, the Trent Williams thing is interesting. Um, it looks for all intents and purposes. Washington has zero inclination to actually move him. If he were available, it is interesting. But then again, now we're talking about a guy we haven't seen in ages. You have no idea what kind of shape he's in, You know how quick he would be ready to go. And, you know, if it's going to be a first-round pick, then you're all the way out on that. The guy's 31 years old and has an injury history. Um, now, you know, maybe the talks of Vitae from the Eagles is somebody they may have their eyes on. Well, Miles Garrett and Jannard Avery both humiliated him in the summer of 2018 in the preseason. Mm -hmm. So that's not doing anything for anyone. I think you just need more cohesion, and you hope that this line can at least get back to a, a better look of what they were in the second half of last season where Baker was obviously getting the ball out much quicker, which is going to make your O-line look better. It, it's strange. They're not throwing the ball deep at all, but yet Baker is not getting the ball off quickly. It's either the play calling, it's the rhythm, and you know I'll keep saying this, and people don't want to put a lot on it. M missing Rashard Higgins, on the surface, most people, you know, NFL fans are going to say, who? He's Baker's guy. He's his mm -hmm. go-to in the clutch. They've kind of just got this you know, I don't need to see what you're doing, but I know what you're doing relationship between quarterback and receiver. And it's been a hindrance not having him out there. Baker needs to clean it up. He needs to tighten it up. You know, not stop going for the home run. And I don't mean that by going deep. You know, Tom Brady, you see him still. He'll just put the ball onto the ground. All right. This play isn't there. We're not going to we're not going to try forcing something that isn't there. Baker's trying to make too many things happen. And it does happen. He's been prone to do this when he does make a mistake. He usually makes a couple because he wants to basically double up. You know, if he costs himself seven, he wants to get 14 on the next play. It's been his issue since his rookie year when he had bad games. He had really bad games. It's just been a tough stretch for him. I expect a much cleaner week this week, though. And I was going to go there next, Jeff, and talk about and ask you about Baker Mayfield because it seems to me that Baltimore game was some of the best Baker we've seen this year. He was staying in the pocket. He wasn't vacating clean pockets. He was fighting in the pocket and making throws. I want to see that guy. Are we going to see more of that guy going forward, or are we going to see the guy that's like vacating clean pockets, trying to make something happen, and sometimes seeking out chaos rather than taking what the defense has given him? Well, the one thing, you know, the one advantage they had going into Baltimore, and this is you know, we had, we had stressed all week long on the show because we thought they were going to perform really well, is there's no established, oh, my God, this guy can ruin your day as a pass rusher. 
on you know the Baltimore Ravens. Mm-hmm. There's not really that guy on New England, but that don't matter because they can scheme it however they want and make it work. But you're absolutely right. And I think one of the brightest spots you saw from the Seattle game was the touchdown run from Baker because that is what he's been getting away from is stepping up in the pocket. It's, it's the, you know, rolling out hard, right. When it's just going to limit your options. You know, he doesn't have enough reps with Odell where Odell, can you run the scramble drill with him? That's where they do miss Higgins is another factor, but that touchdown route run showed he's confident in stepping up and that's going to help you prolong the play. And the other thing is, is it doesn't have to be 18, 20 yards, four, five yards, keep getting to the next down Keep getting something positive. Take your walks. Take your singles. Not everything's going to be a home run, but you know once you get things continued in a nice fashion and you put it together, then you have the defense on their toes as opposed to the other way around when he's making mistakes and it's costing him and the team. Jeff, those of us sort of in the draft Twitter, football Twitter evaluation world, we all have some W's. You know, whether it was for for for, for me, I might say, look, Carson Wentz, I was in on him early. You know, Matt Waldman had Russell Wilson. You were one of the first on Odell, you know, which is a big win from a valuation standpoint because he was coming out of an offense that wasn't suited for wide receiver talent. With that sort of context, what have you seen from Odell during his first season in Cleveland? What's what? Well, the neat thing about Odell is just it's how quickly it amasses. Um, you know, you look at the game against Seattle, and it's not like it looks like he did much, but it's it's six for one ten. It just it comes so quickly, but the, the the most amazing thing he is just so smooth in everything he does. You know, everybody you're taught a specific way to run a pattern. His feet are so quick. You know, and they what do they always tell you? Oh, don't get pretty. Just make the cut. Get where you're supposed to be. Well, if he does that, he's going to be there too early. Look, him and Baker still don't have the total rhythm yet. But just the smoothness and the fluidness and the way he does things. And you know, as much as people want to say, oh, well, he's going to be a problem. Didn't do much in the Baltimore game. And said, look, all I want to do is win. And I truly believe that with him. I go back to his rookie year with the, with the Giants. It was a fourth and seven at home against the Niners. He caught the ball for maybe six yards. He got up, spiked his helmet because he didn't get the job done. Game was over. And everybody started raining on him. Look at this guy. It's all about him. Da, da, da. He just wants to win. Look, he's already got the big contract. It's, he, just, he just wants to win, but he's just such a special talent. And the smoothness in which way he can do things. And, you know, me as a former wide receiver, I look at it like, man, that's something I've never seen. Some people just have gifts. Odell's got him in spades. Let's shift gears now. Talk about this Browns defense. One of the things that sort of concerns me going in is at least on paper, this Browns defensive front with Garrett, with Olivier Vernon and others, has the ability to give this offensive line from New England and in particular Tom Brady some problems. Do you sort of share that opinion? Do you think that's how Cleveland's going to look forward to this game, try to get after Brady with the guys up front? Well, look, I mean, anytime you have Miles Garrett, you know, that should be you know, the be-all, end-all of what your initial you know strategy is on D, is let's get after the quarterback. Now you've, you've added in Olivier Vernon who's not doing much statistically, but he's just like one of those really, really sound players. He grades out really well, never really fills up a stat sheet. Uh, Sheldon Richardson, it's been hot and cold. Larry Okunjobi, really, really steady. Um, There's times where he's really good as a pass rusher. You know, that kind of comes and goes, but run, he is stout in that respect. Um, The thing, though, is you can finally get your corners back. Uh, They haven't had their cornerbacks in four games, five weeks now. So you get Greedy Williams back. Uh, Steve Wilkes spoke today that, you know, then maybe they're going to think to start going with some more man which they weren't doing beginning in the season, which is kind of a shame if you have Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams. That's, you know, normally you play to your player's strengths. We always talk about this type of stuff. 
So you figure a Denzel Ward, Julian Edelman matchup. Um, then, you know, obviously you can do what you want with Greedy Williams. You still have TJ Carey, who plays a tough, tough job in the slot. He's a pretty pretty solid tackler in that respect. Terrence Mitchell's long. They have enough defensive backs to play this. We'll see on Demarius Randall whether or not he's going to make it this week, which has just been an odd year for him in a contract year. He's certainly not doing himself any favors. But, yeah, you got to think, look, you know, with the Patriots and their offensive line, the way it currently constructed, missing a bunch of guys, and not being an overall elite group anyway, yes. I mean, but this should have been the plan most of the year anyway. Is If you have a really stout defensive line, go get it done. It should make everybody else's life easier. The key to this one, and this is the one that really concerns me, is I have no idea what and how they are going to address James White receiving out of the backfield. Mm-hmm. Joe's not doing very well this, well, year, this, uh, very well this year in coverage, which is kind of a shock. Mac Wilson, I, 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 you know, he's he's had some flashes, but he ain't ready for James White. That that's the one that's got to be keeping Steve Wilkes up at night. Jeff, as always on this quality time segment, we get some great questions from our listeners via the Sco Show Slack channel. We'll kick it off with Matt St. John. He wants to know, Jeff, what are the consistent themes in Browns wins, and what do they need to do well to win more games? The it's honestly. It's defense. It's it's getting after the quarterback. It's sacking the quarterback. They got Lamar a bunch of times. The two guys, the Jets out there, they got after that. Um, and it's it's Nick Chubb. Um, it's getting Nick Chubb going early. Um, it's it's not wrong for Nick Chubb to have double-digit carries by halftime. He right now is your most consistent player on offense. So to ignore that, to say let's just get the passing game going, it, it, it's foolish. It, it, it's holding you back. Nick Chubb has got a 607 yards through six games. That's just rushing. He's become one of the best backs in the AFC. Don't be afraid to go away from what works. If you're struggling with the passing game, stick with what works. Nick Chubb works. Next question comes to us from Andy Likens, and he wants to know, is there any sort of concern? Is the seat hot under Freddie Kitchens? And if so, if they do let him go, who would you like to see brought in? Whether there is, there isn't, and there's a lot of talk to this at this point. Um, you know, I, I don't truly know if I believe it, but the other thing is that it is only six games. Um, if there were a move, I'm packing the plane and I'm bringing as many stacks of dollar bills as I can, and I'm going to Norman, Oklahoma, yeah. and we're bringing Lincoln Riley to Cleveland. Yeah. Um, John Limarakis, and he's always sending in some questions. He's doubling up on the Baker stuff here. Is there a consistent theme to why Baker is struggling, or is it just a number of issues? I'd say the consistent theme is trying to do too much. Obviously, you know, you don't want your quarterback to take sacks, but, you know, he's not throwing always in rhythm. Um, you know, uh, people blamed Odell in the Seattle game for the, you know, the two he didn't catch with his one hand. Technically, the balls are behind him. Um, I mean, we've come to this point with Odell Beckham. We just expect that, you know, I mean, the old adage of, oh, if you get a fingertip on it, you should catch it. It it seems that only applies to Odell Beckham when he doesn't catch it. It doesn't apply to some other wide receivers. Um, But he's not been accurate. Um, His rhythm is off. Um, And as far as the one last, uh, the interception against Seattle where, you know, two guys kind of ran into each other. I mean, it was there. I mean, he saw it. I, I don't know exactly why he threw it. It's, you know, it's just trying to, and like I said earlier, I think a lot of it has to do with they probably thought they could be foreign to at this point. And when Baker makes a mistake, he will try to double up as fast as he possibly can to atone for the mistake, as opposed to just trying to, you know, put out crisper, cleaner play for the remainder of the game. Fantastic stuff, Jeff. Let me get you out of here on this one. You don't need a score or anything like that, but sort of your prediction, your rough expectations, let's say, for Sunday. 
Look, you've got 14 days, um, and this is the first week where the it's worked in their favor for the Cleveland Browns. Um, normally, it's been them playing three primetime games in the first five weeks, then with the short week. Um, you know, They played a Sunday night game, then had to go out to – I'm sorry, they played a Sunday road game, then had to go out to San Francisco the following week while San Francisco had 14 days rest. Now it's their chance. Um, you know, Patriots coming off a short week, obviously a little bit of older team. There is some fatigue there. It's not like New England's not used to this or anything of that nature. But you've had 14 days, and this is the measuring stick. This is where you need to know where you are as a franchise. Um, you know, and I think a lot of Browns fans saw that Monday night game and get taken aback and you know made them even more nervous. I don't think this roster is even close to anywhere the Jets are. The Browns are significantly a better roster than the New York Jets. Go in there, give a consistent effort. You want to try and actually win the game? Create a couple of turnovers. You want to not get your doors blown off? Do not give up turnovers. I mean, I was talking about this with uh, John Costco from uh, PFF. The Patriots' defense is the number scoring person in fantasy football right now. Right. Through seven weeks. That's, it's, insane. it's insane. That's how well they're playing. But it doesn't mean you can't get some on them. You certainly can, but... You can't turn it over. You just you cannot give New England, you know, you cannot give New England gifts. It's the last thing they need. Excellent insight into the Cleveland Browns. Jeff, please, before we lock this down, let everybody know where they can find you on Twitter, where they can find the work that you're doing over at Locked on Browns. Well, you know, as Mark was one of the reasons uh, I am here on the Locked on Browns podcast uh, on Twitter uh, at Locked on Browns. It's always a follow back account. I keep the DMs open. Best way to communicate with everybody who's got questions. Me personally at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Um, your show is anywhere you would where you would find you know anything uh, you know uh, you know anything of you podcast wise. Uh, it's it just continues to grow. Uh, people seem to enjoy it and tolerate us, which is nice. Um, and look, I mean, I think it's going to be a lot better game Sunday than people think. I mean, I just know this team and this roster is capable of more. We have not really seen the best of it yet. Uh, that's great insight, Jeff. Can't thank you. Uh, can't thank you enough for coming on, uh, folks. That will do it for today. Next time you'll hear from me is Saturday. Pat's Pulpit Radio Rewind, recapping some of the stuff we did this week. Until then, friends, please keep on blessing that Patriots reign down in Foxborough.